Father, we thank you for the opportunities you've given us either to connect with believers or to, as Eden had the opportunity to proclaim uh, even the gospel um, uh, with those who are deceived, who have components that are correct, and yet uh, there's a skewed um, understanding of who Jesus is. And so I just uh, pray that the things that Eden was able to share would take root. Thank you for, as Steve has shared, just the, um, how you blessed your word, how you blessed the proclamation of your word um, in this man's life, um, to see that still walking with you, seemingly so, years later, we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we do pray for um, faithfulness in proclaiming who you are, Lord Jesus, um, that we wouldn't just proclaim facts about you and what you've done, but who you are. And, and where you're at and what you're doing even right now based on what you have done. And so, Lord, just help us to be faithful. And we pray especially over the Christmas season for uh, just faithfulness to, to proclaim who you are. Um, we ask for that. Pray for this time as we finish up our series talking about your character and knowing you. Lord, we pray that the things we've learned would draw us closer to you um, and... Uh, help us to relate to you better. Lord, we do pray that you prepare our hearts uh, for talking about prayer um, after the first year and grow us in our prayer um, and grow us in individually and collectively to be a praying church. And we just pray these things and ask for help this morning as we finish up this time in your name. Amen. So when we were last together, we talked about God's, um, God's glory, and uh, I argued that really God's glory... Uh, even if we go along with that idea of God's, um, that at least in the Old Testament, the word kind of indicating uh, weight, uh, that in a sense, God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being or the manifestation of that weight. So it's kind of summative in a way. It kind of, kind of describes in a holistic sense the weight of who God is. Um, all of his attributes, all of who he is, kind of uh, the, the weight and substance of that. And the manifestation of it. Um, and so we think about that. Related but different um, is the idea of God's holiness. So that's what we're going to end on is God's holiness. Now, again, we've talked about these concepts before. Uh, we talked about it, I think, a couple years ago um, when we were talking about uh, the idea of sanctification. We talked about this idea of God's holiness. So some of this will be review. Um, it's a, just a reminder. Um, but it, it's a fitting, I believe, a fitting note to end on, because as we look at each of God's, uh, a lot of God's attributes individually, now we're kind of looking at these summary things that are pulling them all together, and how do we, how do we respond to that? How do we think about that? And so we talk about God's glory, we want to talk about God's holiness, I'll remind you of the relationship between the two um, as we finish up today. So, um, you will remember, um, when we talked about this before, there's actually a lot of debate about what the concept of holiness even is. Uh, different theologians, different scholars. Uh, is it separation? That's what we normally say is, you know, holiness is being set apart. Is it transcendence? Is it purity? Is it devotion or consecration? Is it otherness? You'll sometimes hear that's a common one. God is holy other. Uh, that's, that, that kind of got popularized uh, over the last century. Um, so how do, you, how do you discern what holiness actually means? You have to look at how the word, and not just the word, but the concept is described in Scripture. So, uh, again, this is going to be somewhat review a little bit, but 
but it helps us get an understanding of what is what does holiness mean in relation to God. But this word, this concept of holiness, is applied not only to God but to people, places, or things. So we're actually going to um, remind ourselves first uh, what does holiness mean in reference to people, places, or things, and kind of work from that back to uh, God's holiness. So we're aiming for God's holiness. What does that mean? But let's actually first talk about how is it used in relation to uh, person, places, or things. And so uh, let's start with the first usage of the word for uh, the word group for holiness in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. The se- seventh day. So this is the culmination. This is the culmination of the creation week. And let someone go ahead and read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. And um, what you see here is that language of sanctified or made it holy. Uh, what is he doing? He's taking the seventh day, which is the culmination of the creation week, and he is uh, designating it for his own use. Um, arguably, um, he is designating this day as holy, as a meeting place in time and space uh, between hu- him and humans. Um, since he created humans on the sixth day, uh, but here's the, the kind of culmination of, okay, humans are created. They're there when the seventh day is there. Uh, what is the seventh day for? He's, he's designating it for his use. Uh, we can see another usage. Again, we're doing this to kind of just get our heads wrapped around what is, what is holiness even mean. We have to look at that usage to understand that. Go to Exodus 3. So jumping forward to um, Exodus 3. And this is when Moses meets God um, at the burning bush. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read just verses 4 and 5. Of Exodus 3. Okay, so why is the ground holy? Because God is present, right? So that's the key. It, God is present. He is manifesting himself as, um, you know, his presence as fire, a consuming fire that uh, is burning up this bush, but the bush isn't consumed. Presence is there. Therefore, he has designated the ground uh, for his use in his presence being um, and uh, so there's nothing inherent to the ground that makes it better or worse than other ground. It's 
the, just the fact that God has designated this space for his use, for his presence to dwell there. And as, even as we continue, um, what you begin to understand is that really there is a, there is a holiness is really a, a spatial concept, at least in regard to people, places, or things. Uh, it, it has a very, you can, or put it this way, you can start with the spatial kind of concept of it, and then that gives you a clue as to what it means in, in other uses, particularly with relation to, like we discussed before, sanctification, what does that actually mean? But also, what does it mean for God to be holy? Uh, a couple more. Uh, Leviticus 10, so jumping ahead to one of the foremost books on holiness in the scriptures. And this is right after Nadab and Abihu uh, die because they didn't handle God's holiness right. Uh, but here again, we get clues as to what um, a basic con- a conceptual, it gives us a clue as to the basic conceptual nature of what holiness is. Leviticus 10.10. So he's talking to um, Aaron and his line um, and what they're supposed to do. So one of their foremost tasks, the priesthood, what it's supposed to do, we find in Leviticus 10.10. Someone go ahead and read that. Yeah, so uh, you can know something often by its opposite. So what's the opposite of holiness? It's commonness. It's every day. So then that would reverse that. What does that imply about holiness? It's special, right? It's rare. It's uncommon, right? Um, and there's also, even with the language, there's a, dis- there's a difference between clean and unclean and holy and common. There's a, there's a conceptual difference there. But uh, as you read Leviticus and as you talk through the rest of the Old Testament, you have to be clean in order to approach the holy. So it's not only the specialness and the uncommonness, but also the cleanness that's necessary to come near to that. Which, again, that's a spatial concept. You see that with the temple and uh, you, uh, well, let's just think of the tabernacle, okay? So um, envision that. Or you can think of the temple, it's the same concept, right? Um, who, who, where is the common in relation to the whole tabernacle temple complex? Well, even beyond the outer court, right? So you've got your outer court, this kind of boundary where you're entering the first layer of the tabernacle concept. And outside of that is the com- is common, right? That's the common area. Where you can live and do everything of common life in that area. But then you enter into that outer court, um, and you're an Israelite, and you can enter, but there are certain prerequisites, right? Um, you, you have to be clean. If you're unclean, you can't come in, right? But then, uh, what's your next layer of the, the tabernacle complex, or temple, either one? You got the outer court. What's next? The inner court, right? The, you got the, the tent itself, or the temple, the, temple or the tabernacle temple itself, and you, you pass through a door into what is known as the holy place, right? And the priests can go in there, and they go in there every day. Uh, 
regular Israelite can't go in there. Uh, only the priest can. So we've got a, we've got a limiting factor. Right? It's it's uh, this place is more designated. The outer court is designated for God's use, but then this holy place is more designated for God's use. And then what do we get? Holy of Holies, right? Which like this is the most holy of holies is just a way of saying the most holy place in the tabernacle or temple concept. Um, how who can go in? The high priest. How often? Once a year. So even in time, uh, in terms of time and area, time and space, um, you can, and only with the appropriate rituals, the appropriate sacrifices, can you get near. Where does God's presence manifest itself in the tabernacle temple structure? In the most holy place, right? In a sense, every one of those courts, right? So you would even think about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is set apart from the the nations, it is designated for God's use, but within the nation of Israel, you've got this space that is more designated for God's use, and then even within that, you get the holy place, which is more designated for God's use, and then there is the holy of holies, which is the most designated for God's use, at least on earth, that you can get to. Um, and so really that idea of holiness, holiness and commonness are opposite of one another, right? And it's very spatial, uh, at least to start with at least in regard to people, places, or things. So something like ground, or a person, or a priest, a particular priest, right? They're designated for God's use. Um, and the closer you get to God's presence, uh, the more holy something has to be. Okay, so that's just regard to people, places, or things. Any questions on that before we... Um, Keep going, because that's just people, places, and things. Now we're that gives us a basic sense, and now what we're going to say is okay. But then, what would that mean in relation to God? We'll look at more passages before we go there. Let's pause. Does that concept make sense? Any questions? Yeah, Eden. Yeah, and 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 really, even on the Day of Atonement, when the the high priest goes in. You will notice when you read in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement account, like he burns a bunch of incense to create a cloud such that he doesn't look at above the mercy seat. So even the high priest, there's still a separation between him and God's presence. Even though he's in the Holy of Holies, there's still kind of this final cloud where he can't break through to God's naked presence, right? Because again, it's that idea, that spatialness of here's God's presence, and the closer you get to that, there needs to, the more holy something has to be. So even the, the human high priest, um, who is a sinner, um, can't, can't break that barrier. So that really helps, in my I think that really helps us, though. I mean, that's, if you think about an Israelite, you know, they're, they're living this reality of going to the tabernacle, to the temple. And so they, this is how they conceive of holiness. They, first and foremost, they conceive of it in a spatial sense, a relative sense. But then that helps inform, well, what then does God's holiness mean? So we're now in a position to make that leap, I think. Any other questions? That was a good question, or a good point, I should say, um, with regard to the, the tabernacle. Anything else up to this point? Yeah. Yeah, you can say, okay, well, why couldn't he do it? 
Yes. Right, right. And that's the uncleanness part, right? So, you know, in that case, indicated by Moses' sandals, right, um, or, or things like that. But that's the prerequisite for coming into God's presence, right? you gotta be, you got to be clean. Uh, and in a fallen world, right, if you think of Eden, there's unmediated access. Uh, but in a fallen world... How do you approach a holy God? I use an illustration, I think I've used it before, of uh, a nuclear reactor, right? Uh, the closer you get to a nuclear reactor, um, you've got to be prepared, um, right? And it's, you've got layers and rooms and things that are designated because this thing is, is powerful. It's good if you handle it properly. Uh, it, it's even, you could say, in a sense, life-giving. Uh, if handled properly, but um, if handled improperly, it's deadly, right? Which is the, what happened with Nadab and, and Abihu, right? They they mishandled, they uh, misapproached God's presence. Um, they mishandled God's holiness. Okay, so now let's ju- let's make that jump, though, right? We want to talk about this is people, places, and things. So we got the, kind of the concept, the basic concept down, but now. Um, what does holiness mean in relation to God? Because that holiness language is not just applied to people, places, and things. It's applied to God himself. Um, so um, let's just start from that basic idea. What is hol- what's a way of describing holiness based on what we've seen? Set apart or uncommon, rare, um, designated for God's use. So now, if we apply that concept to God himself, what are we starting to mean when we say that God is holy? Okay, but what does holiness mean? So if I say God is holy, what what am I saying, really? What's that? Okay, pure. So that would touch more on the cleanness aspect of things, right? You have to be clean to approach God. Well, God himself must be pure. Uh, But what else does it communicate? Yeah, rare worth, right? That if, if, if holiness is a relative term, and if you think even about that idea of approaching God's presence, so if you're going to designate God, who is at the center of this approach, as holy, and the closer and closer you get, the, the things that can enter that are more rare, more uncommon, will take the kind of the limit of that, and what do you have? You have God himself must be the most uncommon, the most rare, the most incomparable um, of everything. And that's the language that you see as you walk through the rest of the Old Testament. So go to uh, go back to Exodus. Uh, and let's go to Exodus 15. Now Exodus 14 is crossing the Red Sea. Uh, Exodus 15 is the poetic version. Uh, it's the celebration of that event. Okay? So it's a song celebrating God and all of what he has done. Um, look at Exodus 
Exodus 15, um, 11. And again, we're just focusing, we're, we're tunneling in on that idea of what does holiness mean in relation to God. So, someone read Exodus 15, 11. see in connection with God's holiness here, right? He's, he's talking about it. He's talking about other things about God too, but what is holiness connected with? Majesty. Okay, good. I heard someone say that. What else? None like him, right? Which connects with our idea, who is like you? Which is a rhetorical question, expecting the answer, no one, right? So that connects with our idea of rarity, uncommonness, incomparability, right? God is holy. There's none like him. He's the uh, most rare, the most uncommon, the most um, incomparable being in existence, right? And that's just being reflected here after seeing all of what God did, did in connection with the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Okay, uh, Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah is a great book for uh, God's holiness. Um, Isaiah is the one who uses the Holy One as reference to God, um, the Holy One of Israel. Uh, a great deal, many times, he, it's one of his favorite titles for who God is, the Holy One. So go to Exodus, or excuse me, Isaiah uh, 40. Um, and Immediately before this, God is saying all of the things he's done. He's stretched, um, stretched out the heavens. Uh, he is uh, above the circle of the earth. All its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Uh, even the great ones of the earth, they're scarcely planted, scarcely sown. God blows on them and they wither. Right? So God does all these amazing things and shows his amazingness. And then there's kind of this, uh, you know, in the middle of this, the idea of 40-25. So I'm going to read that. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Okay, so, what's, so who's saying this? The Holy One is saying this. So what is he saying? So, so what he says must be connected with what it means for him to be the Holy One. What, is, what does he say? Yeah, there's no one, comp- there's no one who can compare, right? There's, he's the most rare the most incomparable, the most uncommon being who is in existence. Uh, and it's not just like uncommon, like in a negative, like you could just take a flat uh, concept of God's uncommonness or incomparability, and that could, that could potentially be negative, right, or neutral, or like whatever. But what we understand, and tying in kind of with the idea of being clean and pure, right, we understand that uh, this, is, this is positive. This, we're talking worth. We're talking value uh, in terms of incomparability here. So, uh, any, so we're getting more of a sense from the scripture of what does it mean for God to be holy. I've got a couple more verses for us to look at. But let's pause here and questions. Is this making sense? 
Because now what we're saying is, based on the scriptures themselves, we can define this concept of holiness and what it means in relation to God, because here's how God and the authors of scripture describe it. Okay. So, let's go ahead, back up to one of the, to Isaiah 6. This is where a lot of people go in relation to talking about God's holiness, and rightfully so. Okay, um, let's go ahead and just go ahead and read Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. So where are we at in this passage? What location? What does the text say? In the temple, right? But some, it's a super exalted temple, right? Uh, like this isn't what you see if you go to the temple on earth. So yeah, quite, quite possibly the temple in heaven, right? But what we see is we see these beings around God, uh, they have to... Um, what do they have to do? The seraphim. Yeah, they have to cover up. Uh, these are the beings that are closest to God. Um, and they have to cover up. Even they do. right? There's still that barrier. Um, even like we talked about earlier was with high priest. And then they say this, right? Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um so in Hebrew, when you when you do something like repeat the word uh, three times, well, two times you get kind of a superlative sense. So like holy of holies, right? You're kind of you're getting okay. That's the most holy place. But then when you when the, three repetitions is actually quite rare, at least in what we have in the Bible, like to have a word or concept repeated three times is quite rare, um, and really it's like super superlative, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's trying to communicate this is the most holy thing, or person in this case, and they're singing it to Yahweh of hosts, right? So when you see that repetition, it's not just, okay, we're saying holy three times, it's describing through the repetition a super superlative uh, holiness. Holiness means rarity, uncommonness. Then what are they saying? They're saying the most incomparable, the most rare, the most um, valuable uh, being is God himself. Um, and no one, no one like him. Um, there's another time in scripture where this is this basically the same scene is the same sight is seen. Um, yeah, Revelation. Uh, where at Rachel? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, you are the accountant, so um, no. Uh, 
yeah, Revelation is the right place. Um, and go to Revelation 4. Uh, Revelation 4, 8. Someone go ahead and read that. into, uh, and it seems like it's the same creatures, although this time they're described as the four living creatures, but these creatures, they're right there at the, the throne room of God, where his, he is, and they're saying the same, the same thing. Uh, this time, in Isaiah 6, it said this, but this time, what, what else do we see? Um, how often are they saying this? Continuously, day and night, just full repeat of super superlative holiness, uh, uh, ultimate incomparability and worth, right? This is what's going on um, um, around God's God's throne. Here it's connected with his might, his power, and with um, his eternality. Uh, Isaiah passage is connected with his glory. We'll talk about that because we want to relate the two concepts of holiness and glory. But here it's connected with God's power and his eternality. Um, but again, it's that same concept. God is utterly uncommon, utterly incomparable, uh, super superlative, always continuous, uh, unfathomable um, worth. Uh, it's just whatever you could think of is the most valuable thing. Uh, it, 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 cannot, it cannot compare with who God is in and of himself. That's why we say that holiness is kind of a summary attribute, right? Because it's taking, it's looking at all of who God is, really, in his presence, in his being. And then we're saying, based on that, God has the most, there is no one and nothing that could ever compare to him. Uh, which is why idolatry, which is the essence of sin, is so horrific. Because you're taking, this is what Paul says in Romans 1, you're taking the, uh, you're taking the one of inestimable worth and you're trading him to something else. Anything else, doesn't matter what it is, uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, um, the mere trade is so bad because you're exchanging what's of inestimable value and rarity and confidence for what is what is common, um, and dirt by comparison. Um, questions up to this point. The goal of all this is we say God is holy, and that is right, but what does that mean when we say that? And how does that summarize? Um, this is what we did at the end, how that's in that, how that summarizes God's um, character. Thoughts or questions?
Okay. Now, last thing. The relationship between God's glory and holiness. Right? What is God's glory? Yeah. The weight of who he is. Like, the substance of, of who he is, right? Like, the... Um, Maybe you could use the illustration, the, the gravitational pull of, of who he is, okay? Um, so that's his, his glory, his intrinsic worth, his honor, etc. So really, when we talk about God's holiness, God's holiness is his incomparability, his utter um, worth, his utter uncommonness. Um, God's say that God is holy because he is glorious. Right? Because he has the intrinsic weight of who he is and all of his character and all of his attributes, all of that is the reality and honor of who God is, then really the declaration of holiness is looking at his, his glory and saying, God is holy. You see God's glory and you say, there's nothing in no one like it because God's glory is really is his worth. Holiness is a declaration of uh, he's incomparable because of his glory. Um, sometimes that gets reversed. Sometimes people say, well, God is glorious because he's holy. No, it's actually the reverse of that. God is, God is holy because of his glory. God is, because of his intrinsic weight of his being and all of who he is, uh, we declare that God is holy. Big thoughts. Uh, how does this <coughs> shape what we do as Christians? How does this shape what we do? How we think? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so if we go back to that idea of one, it helps us uh, if we're able to see God's glory and thus declare him holy. You know, not just say that, but, but understand that, then all the other things that could be competitors, idols, any sin that we can think of. It's a practical way to fight sin. It's ultimately kind of what you're driving to. David. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Paul says um, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, 6.16 through 7.1. He basically says, hey church, you're the temple now in this you know, t this time, this age, you're the temple of the living God, and so cleanse yourself from, be clean, right? cleanse yourself through, um, through dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, working out your salvation, to use that language, uh, and then he says in 7.1, bringing holiness to completion, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, inside and outside, of bringing holiness into completion. Of God because you're where God dwells, right? So if God is glorious, if he's 
is who he is and he dwells amongst us as people, then that motivates um, and fuels our own growth in holiness. Yeah. Um, that's Second Corinthians. So it's like the, the section that starts with uh, don't be yoked with unbelievers, right? And then it goes in. Paul says, well, why? Because uh, essentially he applies it from Leviticus to the church and he says, uh, you're the temple of the living God. You're where God dwells. And so because of that, 7-1, uh, cleanse yourself from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Um, so because, but it all starts with who God is. Uh, and we talked about this when we talked about sanctification, right? Like, sanctification is God designating something for his use and saying, yeah, you can come hear me. God has done that in Christ through what he has done on the cross. Because he sees his people through the lens of Christ, because his people are in union with Christ, they are designated as holy. You are holy. You are a saint. That's what a saint means. You are a holy one. Not because you are all the way clean, yet. Um, uh, not because uh, you're intrinsic worth, but because God has designated you so. Also fuels a uh, growth in practical holiness, both on the your body and your spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about in step one. Um, it's a great passage. So, uh, okay, so we've been talking a lot about our own sanctification in view of who God is. Let's forget ourselves for a second. What else? Does, well, forget ourselves. Like what, you know, like the stuff we need to do. Uh, what else does this do for us, this understanding of God's glory and holiness? The description of God's glory and holiness is worship, right? So when we worship, we are striving, we're reflecting back to God some measure of his worth praise element, and we trust him um, through all of that. Uh, what is, how does the, uh, when Jesus teaches us to pray, so this would be a nice segue into our, our next series, uh, what, is it, what does it start with? Lord's Prayer, what does it start with? Yeah, our Father. Okay, yeah, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means, Father, make your name. In, other, in what sense? God is holy, but what does it mean? So that people recognize that you are holy. Really, it's a missionary kind of prayer, right? It's saying, like, this is what everyone should be doing, recognizing God's holiness and living in light of that. And Jesus is saying, hey, when we pray to the Father, we pray this way. Because you want everyone, what everything is geared towards, like, seeing um, God as glorious, seeing him as of inestimable worth, uh, and everyone should be doing that. You want that to, to be seen more. Not just from your own life, but from the lives of, well, your brothers and sisters, fellow disciples, but then those out there who aren't honoring God's name as holy. Mm.
That's what he, the author of Hebrews says when he's talking about uh, drawing near in confidence. He's ultimately not talking about prayer. He's talking about um, looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth where you can dwell with God. And you can approach boldly into his presence without hindrance. Um, and that should bring gratitude. Um, like Ashley is saying. Yeah, Tony. Yeah. Mm. close um, in prayer. Just as we, as we prepare for our gathering, what we do every week, um, just to remind you, right, that, that is us gathering as the temple, God's presence dwelling. So how we do it and as we come into that, you know, we should be thinking these thoughts of God's holiness, God's glory. And even if it feels mundane, God says this is, this is holy, this is significant. And so we have to trust him in that. To do, our response should be to do it carefully, right? lest we be like maybe having to buy it, but also to expect God to do great things, even in the gathering of his people, because he designates it as holy. So let's pray to that end. Father, we, we do pray, um, we pray that your name would be treated as holy in the world. It is not, um, by and large, Lord, people drag your name through the dirt, um, they don't even know you. Um, or they they know only know what creation can say, or they ridicule your name, or Lord, we don't want that. We want to see your name uh, lifted high. We want to see your name proclaimed as awesome. Um, Lord, we pray that we would be able, through your Spirit, in some measure, in the gathering of your people, the gathering of your temple that's about to happen, Lord, that we would be able to to do that. Um, Lord, help us to worship rightly. Help us to proclaim your name rightly. Help us to represent Jesus rightly. Help us to um, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to um, sing. Help us to pray. Help us to hear your word preached. And Lord, especially as we come this morning to take your supper, uh, the, the, the sign of the new covenant, Lord, help us to do that in a way that is reverential, 
that brings honor to Christ and that brings honor to your name. Lord, we thank you for the study that we've had of who you are. Lord, we do pray that we would know more, know, know you, not just know more about you, but know you uh, in a vital way. And we thank you for that reality uh, that you've purchased through us through the redemption of Christ and through the presence of your indwelling Holy Spirit in us individually and collectively. Uh, Lord, uh, we long for heaven. We long for grace to the, the, the reality of dwelling in your, your presence and enjoying you forever. Um, Lord, help us um, to long for that. We ask that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, and yet that you would also tarry and save more people to enjoy that reality. So, Lord, we just ask these things and we pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen.